Good morning. Hi. Welcome. Um, I was asking Grant, are we doing a cold open? Am I just walking up there and starting to preach, or am I getting introduced? And he said, everyone knows you well enough to <laughs> just walk up there. So here I am, guys. Um, if you don't know me, though, my name is Jackie. I'm a leader here at Restored. Um, and today, I'm going to be continuing our series of her, uh, healthy relationships and talking about becoming a healthy parent. And I say becoming because none of us have arrived yet. I know that um, I apparently might be considered the resident expert in parenting, but it's not true. <laughs> I just happen to have kids that are some of the oldest kids here at Restored. So I'm just a, maybe a couple baby steps ahead of uh, the rest of us. Um, but that's what discipleship is in general. It's just being a step or two ahead of someone else and encouraging them to follow you as you follow Jesus. So let's just dive right in. Okay. I've only been to the ICU one time to visit someone. <laughs> I'm glad you're laughing, Grant. Because just so you guys know, Andy was like, make sure you make it clear that this person didn't die. They didn't die. They were fine. They lived for many years after this, Okay. <laughs> well, okay, okay. Uh, but I've only, my family laughs about this story now, but I've only been to the ICU to visit someone one time, and it was my grandma because uh, she unfortunately suffered a stroke, and I was about 13 at the time. I was trying to think of the years. I think I was about 13. Um, it was my first time really seeing all the hospital stuff, um, seeing all the machines, seeing all the people, um, smelling all the smells of the hospital, seeing all the tubes that are attached to people and machines. Um, and honestly, it was really, really uh, overwhelming for me, to say the least. Um, the nurse, we're in the room with my grandma, and the nurse comes in, and she's explaining, you know, what's happening. And in my little 13-year-old mind, I'm looking at things, I'm making observations, and for some reason, I decide to stare at one of the most gross things that's there. And uh, my grandma had, uh, I think, an IV placed in her neck at that time, and I could see her pulse moving the IV. Guys, <laughs> the room started to go dark. <laughs> and I think some of you might know what I'm about to say, but all of a sudden, I wake up, I'm looking at the ceiling, and there's a bunch of physicians around me. I passed out in the ICU as a non-patient, as a visitor, the one that's supposed to be a support person, the one that's supposed to be strong and be there for them, I decide that I'm going to pass out right in the ICU. Uh, we laugh about it now, but honestly, I feel like parenting is so similar, and the main reason is because we're not prepared. We're not prepared. We're not prepared to see the things that we see in parenting or experience the things that we experience in parenting. Uh, we're not, oftentimes we're not prepared for the copious amounts of butt wiping that has to be done, has to be done by someone. Uh, we're not prepared to watch the endless episodes of Paw Patrol or Daniel Tiger or Gabby's Dollhouse. Anybody, has anyone, 
anyone's kids into Gabby's Dollhouse? Okay. For the rest, okay, yep. Basically, it's a, a girl that has an obsession with cats, okay? And um, there's, like, cat everything. There's cat pillows. There's um, cat rat. There's pandy paws, which I think is kind of like a panda bear kitty. Um, there's a kitty fairy. There is a mare kitty, which is a mermaid kitty, so it's like a little combo. Um, and then you have one called Cakey, and Cakey is a kitty cupcake, cupcake, which is just confusing because it's so cute, but it also looks kind of delicious. And you're like, are they going to eat it? I hope not. But I don't think they end up eating it. But I think she has many more seasons to see, so we'll see. Um, anyways, and then there's a DJ Catnip. Uh, he's like, he's got his own vibe. Like, if you know, you know about DJ Catnip, okay? Um, but seriously, seriously, we aren't prepared for the moments of extreme mental, physical, and spiritual exhaustion. We aren't prepared uh, to be the ref yet again in another unclear, confusing sibling conflict. We aren't prepared, and that's because we still have some healing in ourselves to do. We still have some maturing in ourselves to do. We still have some growing to do. And the good news is that we have the Holy Spirit with us, guys. If we're followers of Jesus and we believe in him, we have the Holy Spirit with us. And guess what? He wants to help. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll jump into our text. Um, God, I thank you for today. I thank you that you always go before us and you go after us. Um, I thank you that um, you know all things and that you are with us and you're continually helping us. I pray that you would help me to be clear this morning and that you would help um, everyone's ears to be open and hearts to be open um, to hearing from you, whether they are a parent or not or an uncle or auntie. Um, I pray that you would speak to us all and in only the ways that you can. Um, okay, so today we're going to be in First Kings uh, chapter 3, and I'm going to go ahead and start reading that for us. First Kings chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, and it says, Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, by marrying, marrying Pharaoh's daughter. Solomon brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace, the Lord's temple, and the wall surrounding Jerusalem. However, the people were sacrificing on the high places because until that time, a temple for the Lord's name had not been built. Solomon loved the Lord by walking in his statues and his father, David, but as sorry of his father, David, but he also sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. The king of the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there because it was the most famous high place. He offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. God said, ask, what should I give you? <clears throat> and my first point in becoming a healthy parent is to not discount the mundane. So in this passage, we see that God doesn't choose to speak to Solomon as he's on this like famous mountain making these incense offerings or whatever he's doing up there. 
he doesn't choose to speak to Solomon as he's marrying this Egyptian princess. Like, that was probably a big win for him, like a big moment in his life. Like, I've got my African queen. Like, I'm ready. Like, God could speak in that moment, but he doesn't. He doesn't do that. It's not a moment like when Jesus got baptized and a dove landed on his shoulder and God spoke from heaven. It was a big thing. It was a totally different, completely different vibe in the way that God spoke to Solomon. God appears to Solomon when he is in a vulnerable, humble, non-glamorous moment in the awfully human, mundane routine of sleep. God appears to him and asks him one of the most important questions. So in parenting, as some of you may know, there are so many non-glamorous moments, so many painfully ordinary days, more than you signed up for, honestly. But God speaks in those moments. <clears throat> so last year, I made a goal to read six books. Um, some of you guys may be impressed by that. Thank you. Some of you guys may be disgusted by that. Like, how could I only take in six books of knowledge? But <laughs> keep your opinions to yourself because I didn't meet the goal, Gate. I didn't meet the goal. Okay, I tried my, tried my best. But I did read one book, however, that was so important. I read more than one, but I'm sharing about this one, okay? Grant. Okay, Grant. Um, and this book is called Domestic Monastery, and it's by Ronald Rollheiser. And throughout this book, he compares the raising of young children to the life of a monk in a monastery. And some of you might be thinking that seems exactly opposite of life in a monastery. That's exactly what I thought as well. But I'm going to read a quote from it, and hopefully that will give us a little bit of insight of what he's talking about. What is a monastery? A monastery is not so much a place set apart for monks and nuns as it, as it is a place set apart, period. It also is a place to learn the value of powerlessness and a place to learn that time is not ours but God's. Just like a monastery, our home and our duties can teach us those things. The vocation of monastic monks and, mun and nuns is to physically withdraw from the world. But the principle is equally valid for those of us who cannot go off to monasteries and become monks and nuns. Certain vocations offer the same kind of opportunity for contemplation. They too provide a desert for reflection. When he said desert, I was like, woo, it, it feels like a desert sometimes. St. Bernard, one of the great architects of monasticism, used to refer to the monastic bell. All monasteries have a bell. Bernard, in writing his rules for monasticism, told his monks that whenever the monastic bell rang, they were to drop whatever they were doing and go immediately to the particular activity, whether it was prayer, meals, work, study, or sleep, to which the bell was summoning them. He was adamant that they respond immediately stating that if they were writing a letter, they were to stop in mid-sentence when the bell rang. That would be a nightmare for me. I have such a bad memory. I'd be like, the letter's over. Like, I'll try again later. Bye. 
Um, the idea is that when is that the idea in his mind was that when the bell called, it called you to the next task and you were to respond immediately, not because you want to, but because it's time for that task and time isn't your own. It's God's time. For him, the monastic bell was intended as a discipline to stretch the heart by always taking you beyond your own agenda to God's agenda. So let's return again to Carlo Coretta's mother. And I know you guys don't know about that because it was in a couple pages before. But anyways, it's this hermit who lived in the Sahara Desert for like many years and he just prayed alone and contemplated all the things, okay? So this guy's mom. Any mother or father while raising children, perhaps in a more privileged way, even than a professional contemplative, is forced almost against the will to constantly stretch the heart. For years while raising children, her or his time is never his or her own. Personal needs have to be kept in second place, and every time a parent turns around, a hand is reaching out and demanding something. A parent hears the monastic bell many times during the day and has to drop things in mid-sentence and respond. Not because they want to, but because it's time for that activity and time isn't one's own, but God's. The rest of us experience the monastic bell each morning when our alarm clock rings and we get out of bed and ready ourselves for the day. Not because we want to, but because it's time. So I know that was a lengthy quote from the book, but I think it's so, so, so important um, that we have this idea of these small, small moments throughout the day, these mundane moments have a deep significance. In writing uh, this sermon, I was interrupted by my own monastic bells at home. I've got three. Well, I've got four, a furry one. Um, but, uh, I got interrupted by Olivia needing her hair combed. I got interrupted by getting a child ready for a basketball game. I got interrupted by taking that child to said basketball game. I got interrupted by cleaning Poppy's regurgitation off of the couch. It was a real fun one, you know, recommend it anytime. Um, I got <laughs> interrupted by picking up dinner. I got interrupted by a brief conversation about dopamine hits from likes on social media. And I got interrupted by hugging a crying child that missed their dad. So this isn't an exhaustive list of the things, but just a list to show you that there's so many little moments that we have um, with our kids uh, and God uses those. He speaks to us and he speaks to them through those. And I just had a side note. Um, I think in a every moment that, I want you guys to hear me when I say this, knowing that we have children, we have one child in a private school, we have one child in a um, public school, and we have one child that's homeschooled. And every year we decide what is the best option for them, that particular kid, for that particular year. We're not, we don't have a 10-year plan. It's just not us. But one, each year we decide, what do they specifically need? 
So I want you guys to hear me when I say this, but every moment that our child is not with you is a potential moment of discipleship that we're delegating to someone else. And I'm not saying that in a bad way, um, but I think it's important that we actually think of it like that, that we're delegating a moment of discipleship to someone else. And it could be someone, it could be a great auntie or uncle in the church community or in your biological family that you love that are giving your kids an amazing gift. Um, but in an in our day and age when um, preschools are booming, lots of schools are booming, it's important that we are cognitively aware what we're doing with our kids during their hours of the day. Um, and like I said, there's no right way uh, Every child is different. Every family is different. Um, so don't feel guilty, but do think about that. Um, so let's pick back up in uh, verse 6. says, And Solomon replied, You have shown great and faithful love to your servant, my father David, because he walked before you in faithfulness, righteousness, and integrity. You have continued this great and faithful love for him by giving him a son to sit on his throne, as it is today. Talking about himself, a little humble brag. Uh, Lord my God, you have now made your servant king in my father David's place. Yet I am just a youth with no experience in leadership. Your servant is among your people, you have chosen a people too many to be numbered or counted, feeling this overwhelming feeling. So give your servant a receptive heart to judge your people and to discern between good and evil. And some translations say wisdom. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Now it pleased the Lord that Solomon had requested this. So God said to him, because you have requested this and did not ask for long life or riches for yourself or death for your enemies. <laughs> I just, I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> uh, but you ask discernment for yourself to administer justice. I will therefore do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and understanding heart so that there has never been anyone like you before and never will be again. My second point in becoming a healthy parent is to pray for wisdom. Like, seriously, guys, pray for wisdom. Um, Solomon doesn't ask for wisdom just to obtain it for himself, uh, to have tons of facts for, like, to crush a trivia night, to crush trivia at the retreat, like, no, he doesn't pray for wisdom for those things. He specifically asks for wisdom so that he can guide the people, God's people that he is ministering to and that he's leading to distinguish between good and evil. And this doesn't come naturally to us, doesn't come naturally to me. But I think in my life, praying for wisdom has become such a central thing that I do in those small moments of parenting and usually it's some type of quick prayer that looks like Jesus I need your wisdom I need your help because I don't know what to do something as simple as that or something like these are your kids <laughs> you tell me what you want for them 
Um, and like I said, it doesn't come naturally for us because we want to fix it. We want to fix them. We want to fix the situation. We want to be we want to be able to move forward and move through it. But honestly, sometimes this discipleship work, the soul work is above our pay grade. We need the spirit's help in discipling our kids. Um, I'm going to read in Proverbs. Proverbs 28, verse 26 says this. It says, the one who trusts in himself is a fool, but one who walks in wisdom will be safe. Again, in Proverbs, speaking so much wisdom, in Proverbs 3, it says, verse uh, 13 through 18, says, happy is a man who finds wisdom and who acquires understanding, for she is more profitable than silver. So little personification of the wisdom there, like a lady. Um, and her revenue is better than gold. She is more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire can equal her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left, riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant, and all her paths are peaceful. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her, and those who hold on to her are happy. So we're exhorted to pursue wisdom and to treasure it like it, the wonderful gift that it is from God. And where I want to spend the rest of my time um, with us today is uh, talking about our emotions and our kids' emotions. And my third point is this. Emotions are valid and emotions are fleeting. Uh, it's a really beautiful day and age that we live in where feelings are not only sought um, to be identified, but also they're praised and they're encouraged. Um, we encourage children through uh, naming emotions, through feelings charts, through shows. There's so many good shows that have language that goes along with them to help them identify their emotions. And of course, books. And as I was preparing, I was a little curious to see what some of the main titles on Amazon were lately about books for kids um, in regards to feelings. And I came across a couple that were just so funny. I had to share them with you. Um, they might very well be very great books, but they just have funny titles to me. The first one was The Cool Kid's Guide to Staying Awesome and In Control. Simple stuff to help children regulate their emotions and senses. It's like, okay, all right. could see that hitting with the certain crowd. Okay, the next one was sit with it, mindful yoga for kids with feelings. And I was like, I think that title needs to be workshopped a little bit because all kids have feelings, but it's already printed. It's fine. Um, the other one was, uh, this one was just funny to me because it was such a long title. But my first big feelings drawing activity book for kids who love animals with 16 helpful coping strategies to manage emotions. I was like, there's a lot there. So, you know, that's great. Um, and then my personal favorite, which I ordered and I will be giving at the next baby shower I attend, um, was this one. And it's for the littlest of littles. And it's called Baby Feelings. Look at this. And it has pictures of adorable babies making faces that match the feelings. Okay. If you want this book, you can have it after service. Just come tell me. Um, but... Uh, there's so many amazing things, amazing, helpful resources and tools to help kids grow um, and mature emotionally. But it, all, it wasn't always like this. 
This is like a newer thing for our generation. Um, and some of us grew up in families that it was not happening in their families. They were either verbally or non-verbally uh, discouraged from communicating emotions. And it makes it that much harder for us to find the place for our kids in helping them. Many of us have stories in our families where something terrible or tragic happens and it gets uh, swept under the rug. Sometimes people cope, we know this, by avoiding um, the pain because they were never taught how to. Doesn't make our families bad, doesn't make their families bad or their parents' parents bad. It's just a newer concept as we're learning to accept and identify our emotions. And we are so privileged to have people, especially in this church community, the people and places that hold space for us and validate our feelings. And as we remember that these emotions are valid and important, we also need to remember that emotions are fleeting and ever-changing. Let's just think about our children's attention span for a moment, okay? Uh, according to uh, the Brain Balance Center, childhood development experts generally say that a reasonable attention span to expect of a child is two to three minutes per their age. So you've got a two-year-old, you can expect four to six minutes max. You've got a four-year-old, you've only got about eight to 12 minutes max. If you've got an eight-year-old, it says you've got 16 to 24 minutes max, but I, I feel like that's a little generous for the eight-year-olds that I know, but it's fine. Um, I'm not a doctor. I am not a doctor. Uh, so, and obviously, these can fluctuate depending on your specific child and their specific needs. But our society knows that children's, for the sake of this sermon, <laughs> uh, attention span can run shorter. And one of my favorite children's books uh, growing up and as also in adulthood is by Laura Numeroff of the series. It's about this very thing, and I'm sure we've all heard of if you give a mouse a cookie or if you give a moose a muffin or if you give a pig a... Uh, Pancake! We've got some other children literature enthusiasts in the room. Um, and all of the sweet and silly stories about these dear little animals getting distracted while they're doing a very simple task, usually in a home. They're all so cute. But as a parent now, I'm like, Laura Numeroff? Like, she was writing about her kids. Like, we, we all can see this now. <laughs> she took out that frustration in children's literature. Um, and it was so funny. I was thinking about it. I was like, you know what? To be honest, I get this woman, okay? I could write my own series. Um, and I would name it something different. Let's just say something random, like uh, we don't ever struggle with this in our home, so this is completely random to us. But something like if you tell your kids it's bedtime. And I wrote a little short story for us. I'd like to read that. might sound something like this. If you tell your kids it's bedtime, they will ask you their deepest theological questions. As you briefly panic, clear your throat, and begin to speak, it will remind them that their throat is dry and they are thirsty. When they go downstairs and into the kitchen for water, 
they'll remember that they forgot to feed Dee Dee, the bearded dragon. After feeding her a yummy cilantro and strawberry salad, they'll climb back in bed. But as they do, they'll bump their knee. Bumping their knee will remind them of all the other ailments that have been plaguing them for a long time. <laughs> Reminiscing about all these boo-boos will naturally have them asking for a Band-Aid. As they climb back out of bed, they'll remember that out of the 6,000 count Costco pack, there's only one left. As you reach the end of your rope, you'll tell your kids it's time for bed. And if you tell your kids it's time for bed, they'll ask you, their deepest theological questions. So we don't experience anything like that in our house. That's all fictional, completely fictional stories. I don't even know who Dee Dee is. Um, but in all seriousness, if their attention spans are that short, you can safely assume that their emotions have the ability to change just as quickly. Uh, as we consider emotions being valid and emotions being fleeting in our children, I have three short um, practical points for us. The first one is take a deep breath. Let's all do that together. And check yourself, okay? Take a deep breath and check yourself. What I mean by that is we recently did a parenting training and had someone from Connected Families come out to teach us. And one of the key pieces that I love uh, before they get into any parenting strategies is that they start with looking inward at yourself. Like you can have all the, the tips in the world, but if you're still the problem, there's still a problem. Uh, they talk about a framework, and the very first part of it is called the foundation. And that's where you receive and then pass on God's grace and truth to your kids. And there's a few helpful phrases that uh, we have in the book. Over the summer, I taught a course on this Connected Families. There's a few phrases that are helpful to ask yourself before you engage with your child's big emotions. And I wanted to read that for us. So some of these are going to make sense right away. Some of them you might need to talk more about it. If you are curious and have more questions about this, I would love to pass on this information that I have. So ask me after. But starting with the phrases, uh, the first phrase, what am I thinking? What am I thinking as I start to engage with a misbehavior? Second, nothing good happens in fight or flight. Third, Slow, low, and listen helps my child learn. Forward progress begins with a backward step. Lord, what is the opportunity here? What's going on in me, and what do I want to do about it? Changing my belief is the starting place for getting unstuck. What is fully true, hopeful, and helpful of a belief that I can hang on to right now. My child is not my report card. This one, the last one is a very, very real and important one. I can be okay even if my child is not. My second mini point here is to don't ride that ride. <laughs> what do I mean by this? I'm serious. So we all have those rides, right? If we're thinking of a 
park, Disneyland, Six Flags, Nazareth Farm, whatever. We all have the rides that we can't ride and we know we shouldn't ride. For me, the spinny ones. I can't do the spinning ones. I can do the, the stomach drop ones like the Guardians of the Galaxy all day. I love those. So fun. But the spinny ones, if you put me in a teacup, teacups with like an aggressive spinner, I, <laughs> I'm going to be done for the day. Okay. Um, so what I mean is just we want to enter into their emotions, but we don't want to match them with our own. We want to remain a calm presence. We've heard this phrase talked a lot in our emotional, healthy um, curriculum, but remaining a calm presence, entering in, but not matching it. And Jesus does this with us with our pain. We can use language that empathizes with them and helps actually move the, the progress forward. I have an example. Like, let's say the plans change um, and they're no longer, this is for any age of child, no longer able to do what you said that they were going to be able to do. And sometimes that happens. I know we try our best to keep our word to our kids, but sometimes life just happens and you can't do it. Um, and they're having specific, specific emotions. So whether that's um, they can't go to a friend's house anymore or they can't play a certain game or they can't go to a certain park that they really love to go to. Um, saying something like this, when you are seeing these emotions coming through, whether they're coming across as anger or sadness um, in your kids, saying something like, you're sad that we changed the plans and can't go to the park today. That makes a lot of sense. Empathize with them. Affirm that feeling. I get sad when I can't do something I was looking forward to as well. I get it. Do you want a hug? Something like that. Something simple, empathize, empathizing with them. Not fixing it because it can't be fixed in the way that they want it to be fixed. But you can still enter in with them. Just like the roller coaster analogy, uh, when you ride that ride that you know you're not supposed to ride, whether, whether it's yelling at your kids or you match their intensity, don't we always regret it? Like, I don't think there's ever been a time where I, like, lost my cool and I flipped out at my kids. And afterwards, I was like, that was pretty good. Like, I, I think I'm going to try that again tomorrow. <laughs> like, no, you never have those moments. You always, like, hate yourself afterwards. You're so disappointed in yourself. Um, I think that uh, some of us, as I was preparing this, I think some of us probably need to take yelling off of the table in our families and in our homes. And a couple years back, I was really convicted of this myself. Um, I know you guys think I'm the perfect parent, right? Nope, wrong. Uh, but I started to hear myself yell, if that makes sense. Um, but I, I feel like it started to cross a line from this is like a knee-jerk reaction, like, oh my gosh, don't do that. Or, you know, something is happening to more of a default reaction. And I constantly felt frustrated with everyone for not doing what I needed to them to do, when I needed them to do it. And for me specifically, I had a moment with God where I felt like he told me, like, yelling is not going to happen anymore. That's not what we're doing. And am I perfect in this? Nope. 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 I think I yelled yesterday when we were getting out of the car. I have a pet peeve. When we get out, when we get home, we get in the driveway, get out of the car. Okay. 
so we can get in the house, right? We're home. Let's go home. And sometimes we have some lingering people with us that just linger and linger and linger. And so I'm like trying to lock the car, but I can't lock it because the door's open. And then I'm trying to open the front door with my herd of children. And we're trying to keep Poppy from coming outside. And so it's just like this whole thing. And I yelled yesterday. Okay. But big story is that I see God helping me and strengthening me and stretching me in moments of weakness. And I experience his grace for myself. And I see myself becoming a healthier parent. And that started from a conviction of God speaking to me, telling me yelling is not going to happen in our home anymore. And if we do, we, you need to apologize. It's not okay. So let's look back at Solomon in 1 Kings 3 and see how he puts some of this wisdom into practice in a very practical way. I think a lot of us are familiar with uh, this story of Solomon ordering a baby to be cut in half. Um, as I was preparing for this, the Calvin and Liv were standing over my shoulder and they were like reading my notes. And they were like, he's going to cut a baby in half. I'm like, no, he's not going to cut a baby in half. But do you want to know more? And they're like, yeah. So I got to share with them the story in a very simplified version where I think one of them ended up walking away before I was finished telling the story, which is fine. Attention span things, right? Um, but anyways, it's a very common story. But before I do that, I just want to take a moment for all of us to put ourselves there in this story. We have a woman whose baby has just died. And we have a woman whose baby has just been stolen. There are so many emotions that we can imagine are happening in this court before Solomon. We can imagine the sadness, the anger, the rage, the disappointment, the fear, the helplessness. And I'd imagine each of those women are experiencing something, if not all of those, to a certain degree. So let's read 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Or sorry, 16 through 28. <clears throat> then two women who were prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One woman said, please, my lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I had a baby while she was in the house. On the third day after I gave birth, she also had a baby, and we were alone. No one else was there. No one else was with us in the house. Just the two of us were there. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. She got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your servant was asleep. She laid him in her arms and she put her dead son in my arms. When I got up in the morning to nurse my son, I discovered he was dead. That morning, when I looked closely at him, I realized that this was not the son I gave birth to. No, the other woman said, my son is the living one. Your son is the dead one. The first woman said, no, your son is the dead one. My, your son is the dead one. My son is the living one. So they argued before the king. The king replied, 
This woman says, this is my son who is alive and your son is dead. But that woman says, no, your son is dead and my son is alive. The king continued, bring me a sword. So they brought the sword to the king and the king said, cut the living boy in two and give half to one and half to the other. The woman whose son was alive spoke to the king because she felt great compassion for her son. My Lord, give her the living baby, she said, but please don't have him killed. But the other one said, he will not be mine or yours. Cut him in two. The king responded, give the living baby to the first woman and don't kill him. She is his mother. All Israel heard about the judgment the king had given, and they stood in awe of the king because they saw that God's wisdom was in him to carry out justice. So Solomon, he hears their many changing emotions. He takes a moment to see what's happening. He doesn't ride this ride with them. And then guess what? God shows up and gives him wisdom and shows him what to do. Was he going to kill this baby? No, he wasn't going to kill this baby. I genuinely believe God gave him this wisdom to know how to differentiate the two women. And the reality is that we are so much more similar to the child to our own children and to these two prostitutes than we are dissimilar. Our emotions are valid, but man, are they ever fleeting. Our devotion and our desire for devotion to, Z to Jesus are promising, they're palpable, but at the same time, they're incredibly fickle. But family, let's thank God for Jesus, for standing in our place with all of his righteousness, for not giving into his human emotions while on the cross. He was fully God, fully man, giving into those emotions and saying, these guys aren't worth it for not doing that. Let's thank Jesus for sending the Holy Spirit who continually helps us in our moments of weakness, in our moments of struggling, in our stressful, stressful moments of life. He helps us and he guides us. And let's thank Jesus for his forgiveness for us. And in closing, while I was preparing this, um, this thought came to my mind. Uh, I think that there are some of us that may have some resentment towards our kids uh, that we need to let go of. And I know that that might sound a little crazy. We usually talk about resentment in terms of someone that's, you know, really hurt you or something like that. But I think we've all been there. We've all watched like our kids having the hugest, most embarrassing, loud tantrum. And moments later, they're like happily enjoying a granola bar like nothing happened. Um, what I'm saying is the whiplash from that is so real. Our feelings are just catching up as their feelings are ending and they're on to Gabby's dollhouse again. Okay. Um, and for us, it's sometimes it's hard to turn that ship around. Uh, I think that there's also some of us that need to repent for the ways that we've showed up in our relationship with our kids, um, whether it's taking 
yelling off the table or asking God for forgiveness of specific things that you know, ways that you showed up that you wish you hadn't, rides that you rode that you wish you hadn't. Um, I would love to pray for us. I'll be here in the front for prayer if anyone would like prayer. Um, I'll call the worship team up. And I'm going to pray for us that God would meet us um, and help us uh, as we continue to worship him and as we continue to raise our kids. Um, So I'll pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your grace. And thank you so much for your righteousness. Thank you that it's not our record that makes us right with you, but it's your record that makes us right with you. You have provided literally every single thing that we need. You are our perfect parent, and we are your unruly kids at times. We are your embarrassing, tantrum-throwing kids at times. But you are so gracious with us, and you love us. I pray that as we really look inwardly and experience your love for us, we would be able to extend that to our children, that we would let go of resentment, and that we would experience your love and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.